You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It was an eerie and amazing sound. I used to go with my family quite a bit to the Memphis Zoo. We had a tradition. We'd go to the zoo and then go to my favorite barbecue place that was right around the corner from the zoo. And I think I went more for the barbecue than the zoo, but that was our family tradition. And when you walked in the Memphis Zoo, uh, the first exhibit over to the left was uh, the place where the lions were kept. It was a a male and a female lion. And the interesting thing about that lion, when he would begin to roar, it didn't matter where you were in the park. You could hear that roar all over that zoo. And it was an eerie and amazing sound. It got your attention. You knew where it came from. It came from the lion. And then to imagine what it would have been like for Daniel to stand at the precipice of a den full of roaring lions, knowing that his decision was the reason he would be cast into their midst. Is really a breathtaking thought. And I want to focus on this story in God's Word from Daniel chapter 6. So turn there with me. Daniel chapter 6. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful Old Testament book. Daniel chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1. You found your place. I want to ask you. This morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. I didn't plan this, but on Mother's Day, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And on Father's Day, we're talking about the lion's den, the two most famous stories in the book, probably the two most famous stories in the Old Testament. And again, I didn't plan that, but I believe that God planned it. And there's a reason God wanted us to study Daniel and the lion's den on this Father's Day. Certainly, I think you would agree, we need more Daniels in our world, don't we? Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, 
we should not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now look in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pause in this moment to give you the glory that you alone deserve. To express our praise, our adoration for you. And to rejoice in the fact that in Christ we have an all-sufficient, all-satisfying Savior. And I pray, Lord, that as we study this passage in Daniel, this well-known passage, that we would remember that you are enough. And we would serve you and live for you whatever may come. So, Father, have your way in our midst by the power of the Spirit. Would you apply the Word of God to our hearts that we might be changed? And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last time we were together in the book of Daniel, we studied chapter 5, and we saw how there was a transition in kingdoms. We saw how the Lord, as an act of judgment, brought the reign of the Babylonians to an end and allowed them to be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. Daniel served with distinction under Babylonian rule. He was one of the Jews taken captive when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. He was taken into exile. He was forced to live in that land, but he lived well. And he lived with excellence. And he had a position of importance in the Babylonian kingdom. Well, when the Medes and Persians overthrew the Babylonians, Daniel continued to serve. The new rulers saw his, his effectiveness in serving. And they wanted his expertise and excellence to be brought to bear on their rule and reign. So Daniel also served under the Medes and the Persians. And that's when we see this story, Daniel chapter 6, about Daniel and a lion's den. 
And the story really unfolds under five headings. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of walk you through those headings and make some comments as we look at each section of this story. First of all, I want you to see Daniel's life. Daniel's life. We see a little bit in the first part of chapter 6 about the organization of the kingdom under the, the Medes and the Persians. It says that King Darius set up 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. These were probably something akin to governors or tax collectors that would, would exercise the authority of King Darius in the different areas where they were placed. And over these satraps, he had three high officials that, that basically made sure the satraps were doing what they needed to do in their role. And it says among the three, one excelled. And guess who it was? It was Daniel. It says he excelled to such a point that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And that's what made the other officials in the court of Darius jealous. And they wanted to come up with a plan, devise a way for Daniel to be taken away from his role as a government official. But I want you to see a couple of things about Daniel's life before he even faces the lion's den. Notice, first of all, that Daniel was a good citizen. A good citizen. He served well under Babylonian rule. He served well under Medo-Persian rule. And it says there, there was an excellent spirit in him, verse 3. An excellent spirit in him. You and I both know This is a reflection of his relationship with God. He was an ardent follower of the one true God, the Hebrew God, the Lord. And the Lord gave him strength and wisdom. The Lord guided his steps, gave him integrity. And Daniel served well under both kingdoms. He was a good citizen. He did his job well. Now, I believe that Daniel is just obeying here, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. I told you early on in this study that Daniel grew up in Jerusalem. He was a, uh, probably from a noble family, and he was no doubt influenced by the reforms brought about by King Josiah, and he probably was influenced by the preaching of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah kept telling the Jews... Because of your disobedience, there's coming a day where God will allow a kingdom to overthrow you and take many thousands of the Jews back with them to their land. The Jews will be in captivity. They will be in exile. But Jeremiah said, when that time comes, Jeremiah 29 verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. In other words, when you arrive in your new land, even though you were taken there by force, I want you to be a good citizen. Hey, Daniel, you may not in, uh, agree with everything that you see. You may not like the realities of those who are in charge, those who are kings, those who are leaders. You may not like your coworkers very much. They may have different value systems than you have, but I want you to do your best, I want you to seek the good of that land. And that's how Daniel lived. Daniel lived with an excellent spirit. He was a good citizen. I told you the first sermon on the book of Daniel, this. 
we don't live in Mayberry anymore, do we? We live in Babylon. And there are a lot of things that I don't like about Babylon. There are a lot of changes that are happening rapidly that are breathtaking and disturbing. There are people in positions of authority that I do not agree with. There are things that, that I want to see change that, that I don't really have the power or influence to change right now. But none of that changes the calling of God on my life to represent Christ where he has placed me. And guess what? He's placed you where you are. And he calls you to be salt and light. He calls you to be a good citizen, to seek the welfare of the city where you live. So Daniel was a good citizen. He was a role model. He was a picture of what it meant to seek the good of those around him. That's why he had so much influence. He kept moving up with authority because he was such a good citizen. But not only was Daniel a good citizen, secondly, Daniel was faithful to God. He was faithful to God. Look what it says there in verse 5. The Bible says, Then these men said, the men that wanted to destroy him, because they didn't like his, they were jealous of his influence. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We want to... We want to, to, to derail Daniel. We don't want him to advance in this kingdom. But we can't find any areas of deceit in his life. We can't find any wrongdoing. We, we can't trip him up because he's walking with integrity. So if we're going to get Daniel, we've got to find out a way to make his faith in God an affront to the king. we we got to figure out a way to leverage his dedication to the Lord to get him in trouble. And what's interesting is in verse 6 it says, These high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. And they shared the plan with King Darius. Notice there, all these politicians came by agreement. Isn't that interesting? We live in such a fractured political climate. Notice how the politicians unite against God's man. They come together and unite against the Lord. And here's the takeaway for you and for me. If by God's strength and grace we live blameless lives... Lives as good citizens. We're seeking the welfare of our city and seeking the welfare of our state and seeking the welfare of our country, seeking the welfare of our land. We're good citizens. If people can't find a chink in your spiritual armor because you're living for the Lord, you're being salt and light, guess what? The culture still despises you. And eventually the culture will come against your faith. That's what happened here. They came against Daniel's faith. So we see the first heading, Daniel's life. Secondly, we see Daniel's choice. Daniel's choice. 
So it says there, verse 9, King Darius signed the document injunction. If for 30 days anyone prays to any god or seeks the, the assistance of any man other than the king, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 10, Daniel, listen, this is not some, he didn't stumble into this. He knew the document had been signed. And he knew the law of the Medes and Persians. Once the king signed a document, it was irrevocable. The king couldn't change his mind. He knew the document had been signed. What did he do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel makes a choice. To pray, defying the injunction of the king. But notice here, and this is important, Daniel's not being bombastic. He's not trying to, he's not trying to make a point. He's just doing what he's always done. As he had done previously, he's just praying. That's what he does. He's a man of prayer. And even though the law changed, Daniel was not going to change. And Daniel makes a conscious decision. He knew the document had been signed. And as he had done previously, as was his custom, as was his habit, Daniel opened the windows and he prayed. Now notice there it says, he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Why were the windows open toward Jerusalem? Well, this is a, an allusion back to 1 Kings chapter 8. When King Solomon led over the, led, led over the opening of the, the temple that he had built, he prayed this great prayer. And here's what he said about the temple, the place where God would dwell among his people. He mentions God's people being taken into captivity and into exile. He says, If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house that I've built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. In other words, Daniel knew the, the prayer of Solomon. He said, if, if God's people are taken into captivity and exile, pray towards Jerusalem and ask God to forgive and to heal and restore. And that's exactly what Daniel's doing. The, the windows are open toward Jerusalem as he prays for God to bring this captivity to an end. Daniel just prays. He knew that's what he was supposed to do. If you look at your notes the principle is this. Daniel chose God when his culture came into conflict with his faith. I'm going to say it again. Daniel chose God when his culture came into conflict with his faith. Now the Bible is very clear. Over in Romans chapter 13, the Bible instructs us, commands us to be good citizens. To submit to the authority God has placed over us. Speaking of the government, the rulers. We're to, we're to be good citizens. But there is an exception. If the government or if those in authority or if anyone, anyone, asks us to disobey God, 
We're to choose God rather than men. That's what Peter said over in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. When the religious leader said, listen, we'll let you go. We're not going to keep you in prison. But, but as you go, don't talk anymore about Jesus. Don't preach about him. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. He made his choice. King Darius said, don't pray for 30 days. My God says, pray. I'm going to choose God. Now, Daniel could have said, what's 30 days without prayer, right? I mean, I, I can go 30 days. I, I won't make a big deal, and I'll just keep a low profile, and this will pass, and I can get back to my, my praying ways, but he doesn't do that. He, he knew to, to go undercover with his faith would be disloyal to God. So he opens the windows as he always had done, as he had done previously, toward Jerusalem, and he prays. I like what Alistair Begg writes about this. He writes, so now Daniel must choose. Loyalty to the king and maintain his position, his riches, his reputation, his life. Or loyalty to God and face death. He goes on to write, You're going to have a really hard time with the rest of Daniel 6 if your view of what it means to live for Jesus is primarily about your self-fulfillment, freedom from pain, pursuit of prosperity, and enjoyment of comfort. That superficial, contemporary, eastern view of Christianity will not survive contact with Daniel 6. Because Daniel is about to choose to die. And Begg writes this. And that confronts us with a question. Is there anything I would die for? Do I have convictions that are so strong and so grounded that I would die for them? Daniel's choice. But third, we see Daniel's cost. The cost of the choice that he makes. Look what it says in verse 11. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Oh, we caught you. You're praying. They came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, Oh, king, did you not, make, did you not uh, sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man Within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. They answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you assign, but makes his petition how many times a day? Three times a day. We have trouble praying one time a day. He prayed three times a day. 
Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. What happens? Daniel knows the injunction. Daniel prays, as was his custom. And Daniel experiences the wrath of an ungodly culture. Daniel is thrown into a den of lions. He could probably hear them snarling and roaring as he was brought to the edge of the den. And then a stone was rolled across the opening. And Daniel was left to die. The cost for Daniel's decision... And here's what you and I need to understand today as we study Daniel and apply it to our lives. And this is such an important principle. There will always, always be a cost for living faithfully for the Lord. Always. You say, "Ah, I don't know if I... Agree with that, Pastor Wade. Well, listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul's saying, times are bad and they're going to get worse. We're living in the worst right now. Paul saw this day coming. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, anyone, anyone, anyone that desires to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. I read this morning in my time alone with God, Philippians 1.29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In other words, Paul's saying part of the deal is this. When you sign up to follow Jesus, when you become a Christian, when you follow him, you are signing up for suffering. You don't hear that every day, do you? But that's what the Bible says. What does that look like? Well, first of all, you need to understand this. There are believers in the world today who are being killed for following Jesus. It's happening all over the world. I get emails from Voice of the Martyrs, and I'm reminded of Christians paying the ultimate cost for following Christ. Different continents, different countries, but the same principle. They choose Christ over the culture And they suffer death or beatings because of it. And so there is real persecution. People are losing their lives for following Christ in our world 
today? What does it look like for us in this room? Maybe not as dramatic as a lion's den. Maybe no one's threatened to throw you into the lion cage. Maybe no one is, has uh, fired up a furnace to throw you into. It may not be that dramatic, but all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's it look like in today's time? It might look like marginalization, ridicule, slander. You could become the target of legal action. There could be consequences on the job. Following Jesus might entail distance in your family. You, you could become the laughing stock at your school. It's going to look different ways for different people in different situations. But know this, when you decide to follow Christ with all your heart and with, with all your soul and with all your mind, there will be a cost. And so you and I must be ready. I hear the alarm, which means there's bad weather. So we're just going to stay in here for a while, all right? No need to hurry up the sermon. There will be a cost. But here's what I want you to understand. The cost will always be worth it. Did you hear me? The cost will always be worth it. If the cause of Christ is advanced, it's worth it. I think about the Moravians. The Moravians were a group of people in the 1800s uh, near what we call modern-day Germany that were a, a, a group of people who were fervent in following the Lord. And, and, and their, their desire to follow the Lord led to a missionary spirit. And they sent out missionaries all over the world. And there's a story of these two young Moravian uh, missionaries, these two young men, and they're on a boat and they're leaving their, their village, they're leaving their home, and they're going uh, to the Pacific, the Pacific Rim area where they would be ministering or sharing the gospel with cannibals. And they knew they probably would never make it back home. They knew they would probably die on the mission field. In fact, did you know in that day that missionaries packed their coffins with them? They would put their possessions in a coffin because they knew they'd probably need it. And, and this ship is, is, is setting sail. It's going down the river toward, toward, the, toward the ocean and and, and these two young Moravian missionaries are on their knees. Their hands are lifted high and they say, May the Lamb of God receive the reward of our suffering. In other words, if we go and seeds are planted and people come to Christ and lives are changed and Jesus is glorified, then our sacrifice is worth it. It's worth it cause of Christ is advanced by your faithfulness, it's worth it. And can I tell you this? If the Lord is pleased by your life, it's worth it. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hand, but just how many of you, when it's all said and done, and you step out of this life into the next... How many of you long to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and 
faithful servant. Do you long for those words? If you do, there's going to be a cost. Because serving Jesus faithfully will eventually bring you into confrontation with an ungodly culture. But Jesus is worth it. Which leads to the fourth heading. Daniel's deliverance. Daniel's deliverance. Look what the Bible says there in verse 19. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I love that question. Was God able to save you? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent an angel. Now watch this. And shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now, I've seen some depictions of this event. Some, some paintings or pictures, particularly in some children's literature. And when you see Daniel in the lion's den, often it's Daniel with a bunch of big kittens. He's kind of scratching behind their ear and they're all smiling and resting. They have their head on his shoulder. And, you know, Daniel's just kind of cuddling with the lions. That's not what happened. In fact, you'll see in a moment what happens when some others are thrown into the lion's den. They instantly kill those others. These lions were hungry. But what happens? God shut their mouths. I, I believe that probably what this looked like is Daniel was standing in the lion's den and those lions were circling him. Oh, they wanted to eat him. They wanted to kill him, but they couldn't because God shut their mouths. I don't believe Daniel had a restful evening. I don't believe he took a nap. I mean, he's standing there and there, there's these, these fierce lions circling him. But all night long, Daniel was reminded, my God is able to save. And he shut their mouths. God supernaturally intervened. I wonder if Daniel, right before being thrown into the lion's den, remembered or thought about the story of his three Hebrew friends in the fiery furnace. Now, I wonder if his thought process went something like this. Lord, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace, you were there with them, and you delivered them through the fiery furnace. So God, would you deliver me from the mouths of lions? I know you can do it. I know you can supernaturally intervene. Would you do it, God? And God did what do we learn from that? We learned that our God is greater than our enemies. No matter what you encounter, no matter what you face, no matter who comes against you for your faith in Christ, remember our God is greater than our enemies. God can step in and provide miraculous deliverance in a tough spot. Amen? 
But let's be honest. There are also times when God doesn't directly intervene. As I just said, I get emails every week about followers of Christ who have been beaten or killed for their faith somewhere around the world. There are times when God doesn't directly intervene. Faithful followers of Christ suffer and die for their faith. But either way, listen to me, whether God supernaturally intervenes or whether he allows the suffering to happen, either way, listen, it's going to be okay. Now you say, Pastor, how can you say that? That if someone suffers for following Jesus... It's going to be okay. How can you say that? Let me tell you why it's going to be okay. Notice in verse 17. When Daniel is cast into the lion's den, a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. Daniel's thrown into a place of death. And a stone seals the opening. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of another place of death? You remember that that Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven. He took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. He was law incarnate and love incarnate. He did everything perfectly. And yet he had enemies. And the religious leaders led the crowd to convince Pontius Pilate to pronounce the death penalty over Jesus' life. Crucify him. Crucify him was their cry. And Pilate commanded that Jesus be beaten and Jesus be crucified. And Jesus hung on that cross from From nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, bearing the sins of the world, taking our guilt, our sin, our... We sang it earlier. He became sin who knew no sin. And on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died on the cross. Some faithful followers took his body down from the cross and they prepared his body for burial. They didn't know where they were going to take the body. So a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, who had followed Jesus from afar but now was following him closely, Joseph of Arimathea said, I've got a family tomb. No one's ever been placed in it. He can be put in my tomb. So the body of Jesus, broken, dead, was taken to a tomb, a place of death, and laid in that tomb And a stone was rolled across the opening. When I read Daniel and read about the stone, it reminds me of the stone rolled over the tomb of Jesus. But what happened the next morning when when King Darius arrived? 
And the stone was rolled away. A supposed place of death was now a place of life. And here's why we know it's going to be okay. That's what happened at Jesus' tomb. When his followers came early on Sunday morning, the stone had been rolled away. Jesus had been raised from the dead. And they peered into the tomb, a place of death. And they came to this conclusion. This is a place of life. This is a place of resurrection. Here's what I want you to understand. Because Jesus has defeated sin and death, listen to me, it's going to be okay. If God delivers you in the here and now, praise the Lord, hallelujah, he's a a mighty God. But if he allows you to suffer, and if he allows you to go through hardship for following Jesus, guess what? Jesus has already won. He's defeated death. It's going to be okay. That's why Paul could say, boy, Paul suffered a lot for preaching Christ. Paul said, to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. Every day I live is another day to serve Jesus, but to die is gain. It gets even better if I die because I get to go and be with him. And that is the certainty that you and I can live with in this broken, fallen world. In order to be faithful to Jesus, we can say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You can't stop me from living for Jesus. Amen? And so our God is greater than our enemies, which leads to the fifth heading. We've talked about Daniel's life, Daniel's choice, Daniel's cost, Daniel's deliverance, but fifth and last, Daniel's legacy. Daniel's legacy. Look in verse 25. Daniel's brought out of the lion's den. The politicians that maliciously accused him, they were thrown in the lion's den. Because, because the king saw their manipulation, their scheming. He throws them in the lion's den along with their families. It's a gruesome scene. And it says that before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. These were hungry lions. But in verse 25, the Bible says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. The king, now watch this, the king decided to send a letter to everybody. He wrote it down and got all of his, his messengers and, and, and mail carriers together and said, I want you to take this letter everywhere that you can. Here's what the letter said. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. A pagan king is saying this. For he is the living God. Second time he's used the phrase living God. He uses it in verse 20 as well. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What do you say about Daniel's life? We've studied him now for six chapters We're amazed at his faithfulness, his courage, his confidence. But here's the the reality of Daniel's life. 
He lived in such a way that others saw the reality of the living God through his life. And that's the question for you and for me, isn't it? Are we living in such a way that people look at us and say, I I get it. I I see that Jesus really does make a difference. I see that Jesus really does change lives. I see that Jesus is really worth believing in and living for. I see it through their life. Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus through you? Is your life an arrow that's, that's pointing others to King Jesus? That's the way Daniel lived. The king was impressed by Daniel, but he was more impressed by Daniel's God, the living God. So he wanted to write a letter to tell everybody about this living God. And and here's what I want you to understand about Daniel. He lived that way consistently for decades. What I love about the book of Daniel is we don't get just one snapshot of his life. In the early chapters, we see Daniel as a young man, a teenager, boldly living for the Lord. And now we know he's probably in his 80s, based upon the timeline of the kings. Probably in his 80s. And what's he doing? He's still boldly living for the Lord. A consistent witness for the Lord. And shouldn't that be our goal? So if you're a young person, you should be inspired by Daniel. He shows you what it looks like to live for the Lord when the culture is opposed to your God. And senior adults and everyone in between, you should be inspired by Daniel. Faithfully, consistently living for the Lord in his 80s. In other words, Daniel finished well. Now come in close. I'm about to close, but just come in close. The longer I live, the longer I do ministry, look around at what's happening in, in our nation, looking at what's happening in churches and Christianity as a whole, I find myself being less and less impressed with those who are gifted and talented. There was a time early on as a... All right, we're still going. Hey, settle in, all right. There were times as a young preacher boy that I was impressed by the big names. I'd go to conferences and conventions. I want to hear the big name preachers, you know. And I had heroes and people I looked up to. And that's important to learn and, and be mentored and, and all of that. That's, that's good. But I remember being really, really impressed by gifts. But as I've gotten older, you know what impresses me now? Faithfulness. Thank you for listening. 
We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.